Before we begin today's show, I wanted to remind you to check out The Low Post with Zach Lowe. Twice a week, Zach gives his unique analytical take on the NBA with an assortment of regular guests. Last week, he spoke to Brian Scalabrini about the now 500 Celtics and did a draft of All-Stars with Kevin Pelton. You can find The Low Post wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Monday afternoon as a little editor's note. I'm not, I don't, I don't edit this. It's a host's note. It's March 1st. Welcome to March, etc. cetera. Uh, effective immediately. Pods will be coming out on Tuesdays and Fridays. So make a note. Let it be written. Let it be said. Joining us from Austin, Texas, where the ice is melted. His Wi-Fi isn't working very well, but... Kirk Goldsberry is with us. What is up, Brian? It is great to be with you today. And join us from Oklahoma City, where they got ice, but I think the power stayed on, is Royce Young. Yep. Officially thawed out here in OKC, and I think spring has sprung, sort of. So Famous last words. We don't say that in the Midwest. Oh, we know it's just a cruel <laughs> joke. It's a cruel joke. Um, spring has sprung in the New York City area because... The New York Knicks, after a good weekend, are a game above 500 and 18 and 17. Um, headed down your way, though, uh, for a Texas road trip, Kirk. So we'll see um, if they're able to maintain it. But let me just say at the start of this season, things I did not expect, which would be that we would be leading a podcast with the Knicks uh, in March, um, where it wasn't like some sort of trade or some sort of uh, <laughs> embarrassment, quite frankly. Um, and, you know, I don't know if I want to say they're the story of the league uh, because, you know, Utah and Brooklyn for sure, but they are one of the stories of this season. They're in fourth place. As we're talking right now, they're in fourth place. Now it's really bunched in the East. So the Knicks are 18 and 17. And between the fourth place Knicks and the, what is this, the 10th place Bulls, we're talking about a game and a half. Uh, and then, you know, four and a half to get all the way back to like uh, 13th. So the the, Bull, the Knicks have a bad week or a bad road trip. Um, you know, it won't look so rosy. But at this moment in time, let's just, uh, let's just take our hats off to them because this is a team that I thought was going to be competing for the worst record in the East this year, which I didn't think was a bad thing. They specifically saved their salary cap space because they couldn't get the free agents they wanted to. Um, but yet here they are, lowest payroll in the league, which is amazing to say about the Knicks, and the second best defense in the league. In, in a year where um, we are seeing crazy offense, um, the craziest offensive season in uh, in league history, um, and I have some stats from Sports and Information about the month of February, and I'm going to go over right here because I talked about this in the podcast a few weeks ago, guys. But I want to update this. Um, so there were seven 30 point per game scores and 19 uh, 25 per point per game scores in February, the most in NBA history. Um, the previous record for 30 point scores in a month was six. So, and then the previous record for 25 point scores was 15. 
Um, there were an average of 225.6 points per game scored in the in the 212 games in the month. And it was a, a longer month of February than normal because usually the All-Star break happens in there. So you have to look at averages, not totals. Um, so third highest points per game average in a calendar month in league history, dating all the way back to February of last year. Uh, how about that? Zion Williamson averaged 20 points per game in the paint in the month of February. It's the most since Shaq in March of 2003 when he averaged 22 points a game. Joel Embiid became the first 76ers player to average 30 points and 10 rebounds in a month since, you guys want to take a guess? Chuckster or Moses. That's not Chuck, but Moses would have been a good guess. Chuck, in December of 1990, Charles Barkley, December 1990, Zach Levine was the first Bulls player to average 30 points in a month since. Oh, Royce, you got to get that one, buddy. <laughs> I don't want to say the obvious. Thing. I'm going to say Derek Rose. Though. Uh, no, it's a decent guess. Joe Kim Noah. No, just kidding. Um, Michael Jordan, 1998. See, I felt like that was way too obvious, so I went with Rose. <laughs> I'm just pointing out that, that, that Zach Levine just had a Jordan month. Is what I'm saying. Okay. And so all this is to say that the Knicks have gone from the 23rd defense in the league to the second ranked defense in the league. And that Kirk is why they are uh, over, over 500 and playing well. And I think we should acknowledge it at this point in the game. Yeah. Uh, let me start by saying it's great. And anybody who's been to Madison square garden for a playoff game uh, knows that it's great. Uh, the, the fact that the Knicks could be back in the playoffs uh, at some point, uh, consistently is is good for the NBA at large. And uh, Tom Thibodeau's done a great job. And as you said, they're doing it with defense. And Leon Rose is doing a good job, essentially setting up the, the narrative that they're a competent franchise, open for business potentially in the offseason. And I want the Knicks to be back so bad, Brian. The fact that they are currently in fourth place and they might be a playoff team makes me happy. But let me be Debbie Downer for a minute. Please, look what we brought you here. <laughs> I think it might be a barrage. I think they might be fake good. I'm worried the numbers suggest this isn't real. Let me explain that. You mentioned these crazy offensive numbers. You know, there's something called three-point mania happening in the NBA. We know this. Uh, an average jump shot in the NBA for the first time in league history is now worth over a point. Um, Ten years ago, it was worth about 0.84 points. So it's it's crazy. Uh, but let me so explain. Roughly, what- basically, roughly guys are shooting it's 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 improved by 15 percent. yeah and it's because of the three point to mid-range ratio which we all know is changing and how i don't want to get into that but i want to contextualize the knicks defensive performance with that in mind um knicks opponents currently brian have the worst three-point shooting luck in the nba not only are they only making 32 percent of their threes which is the lowest their shot quality suggests that number should be higher and not only that knicks opponents are making just 29 of their uncontested threes, which is by far the lowest such mark in the NBA. For context, the best defense in the NBA is the Lakers. Their opponents are making 45% of those uncontested threes. So the shooting gods have been smiling down on the Knicks, pumping up those defensive efficiency numbers. But those numbers suggest that their luck might run out. They got a string of hard opponents coming up. And like you said, the bunched up thing, I think, is the key. Right now they're in fourth, but they're two games away from being in tenth. Um, and, you know, the way this is going, if their three-point luck runs out, if they hit a tough stretch, um, they could be right back out of the playoffs. So I, I want them to be good, and I thought I was going to be Debbie Downer. 
But there are some warning signs here, guys, that this might not be sustainable right now. Kirk, did you not see the video that was on the internet the other night after the Knicks won of fans literally celebrating? Like, <laughs> how dare you? I, I told you I was going to be Debbie Downer Royce. Here, here's the thing, though, and you touched on it, that I think that may be more important than just the fact that they are currently in fourth and that they're above 500 for the first time in many years. But you, you mentioned it, Kirk. They look competent. They they look like a true, well-run organization right now. And, and, like, and that starts from – it's finally you're, – you're getting like that linear trickle down of front office looks good, coaching staff looks good, team looks good. And like that's how an organization is supposed to function. But, you know, I whether it's three-point luck, I think maybe I would – uh, reclassify that as the uh, Tibbs fear factor. I'm just going to say opponents are intimidated by Tibbs and the the menace of the Knicks defense that they just can't shoot right. That's how I'm going to choose to believe it because I want the Knicks to be good too because it makes it makes basketball better. It makes conversation around the game better. It makes the Eastern Conference more compelling. Um, and it's not just like this big market like infatuation we all have, but like the Knicks. Uh, even though we, we call them a storied franchise, there's not much storied about them in reality, but like there, there's a prestige there and it's just better for just the league itself and for everybody that covers it when one of your prestige franchises is good. So I, how dare, how dare you poo poo. <laughs> I have such good memories in the uh, NBA on NBC in the nineties, Sunday afternoon games at the garden when, um, you know, John Starks and Patrick Ewing, Alan Houston were going and, you know, they'd be playing Miami or Chicago and Marv Albert and Mike Fratello, the czar of the Telestrator working. It. I, I, have this, I have this vivid memory of this um, this Christmas, maybe it was even Christmas Day, the Christmas time game I'm watching, you know, Sunday afternoon and they come back out of break. And there's a there's a dog outside. There's a there's a man with a dog outside Madison Square Garden and the dog has a um uh, Santa cap on and there's an unlit cigarette in the dog's mouth, you know, just a funny New York thing was going on and it's quiet, you know, and they come back inside and they're showing it and you hear the organ going and Marv goes, always sad when a dog smokes. <laughs> it just, I just have this, this memory. Um, so the, the like that's been the next motto for the last 20 years, Brian. So they play this. I was mentioning they're coming down to, uh, to Kirk's way. They're playing the Spurs, uh, on Tuesday night, and then they close the first half with the Pistons at home. That's a winnable game. But this is what Kirk is talking about coming out in the second half. Um, they open the second half with the Bucks, and they go see Royce in Oklahoma City, and then it's uh, Nets, 76ers, Magic, 76ers. So right there, just in the next eight games, they have uh, Spurs, Bucks. Nets 76ers twice. So um, they're going to get a real test to it. And, um, you know, you you say that they're well run. I, I agree that their franchise, I think they're, I think they're showing moderation. Um, I, I didn't like think, the Derrick Rose trade personally, but I mean. Well, I'll ask Kirk about that in a second. But um, they left their salary cap, cap space unspent, uh, largely because they didn't know what to spend it on. And their their big the biggest story about them this year is is the emergence of Julius Randle, who has become an all star, um, an unusual jump in his career. He was a guy that could score at times, but absolutely would kill you at the defensive end. Um, and you know, you know, he had you know when he was in New Orleans, um, he had moments, but he just 
couldn't be trusted at defensive end. They had to let him go. He's on his third team in uh, like six years. And he has become more of a point forward, you know, distributing the ball, playing so much better on defense, um, you know, taking higher percentage shots. Um, but Leon Rose drafted his replacement in Obi Toppin. You know, I don't think Leon came in and looked at the lay of the land and was like, Julius Randle is a hidden gem. And I don't think Tom Thibodeau was like, oh, we can, let, let me polish this guy up. I, mean, I think they just, a confluence of events allowed Julius Randle to emerge. And, um, and it's been a great story. And, and you know, to, to have an unexpected all-star is, is really surprising, especially a guy, you know, sort of that well into his career. I mean, he's in the middle of his career pretty much. And to see this elevation is, is kind of surprising. So um, I don't think they thought they would have this team. I think they thought they would have a team that would be better, but would be in the lottery. And that's probably where they're going to end up, Kirk. But I, I just looked it up. They've got the third hardest schedule in the East left. And yeah, they have a, exactly right. a six-game road trip. Uh, they still have to do a West Coast trip, a six-game road trip in May. It's the first time I've ever used those words in May. Um, so, like, they have sort of that looming on the back end of their schedule. Yeah, I think, you know, I don't want to sound like Debbie Downer, so I'll flip it around because I think the, the goal for the season was to establish some sort of competent culture in New York. And the road from bad to good has to pass through mediocre or average on the way. And it looks like that's where they are. Um, and I don't want to take a snapshot right now on March 1st and say, well, they were in fourth place on March 1st. And then because of the strength of schedule sort of quirk, they fall a few games back. Now they're out of the playoffs. And we look at that as a failure. That would be really dangerous if the narrative starts to look at the Knicks collapse between March, April and May of this season. Because that's just not fair to what's happening. They're, they're a good team. Uh, they're a really good defensive team, despite that three-point shooting luck. Make no mistake, this is a good defensive team, and it's not surprising with Tom Thibodeau. That's that's a sustainable thing you can build around. Julius Randle's a sustainable piece that you can either use to build around or to move and get something back. I mean, this is this is where they are right now. They're building a foundation. Uh, the team across um, in Brooklyn was in a similar predicament a few years ago, and look what happened. You know. Piece by piece, they got better. And then when the situation presented itself, they looked like a competent place to land for two incredible free agents. And then, oh, by the way, a trade demand came. And now the Nets look like a legitimate championship threat. The Knicks are like three or four years away from setting that up, potentially, in Manhattan. Um, and I think this is the kind of season that, that is a very good first step on that long journey. I will say this, Royce, um, you know, they picked uh, Emmanuel quickly, maybe the 25th pick in the draft, 26th pick in the draft, I can't remember now. They picked him essentially because, I mean, they had inside intel to him because they had hired Kenny Payne as an assistant from Kentucky. Quickly was a high-touted uh, recruit who didn't have a great year and sort of slid down the draft boards and has been a revelation, um, uh, has this uh, really aggressive game. He He... I got to say, this is the first time I've ever heard this. He idolizes Lou Williams, mm -hmm. which is in a way an amazing, that tells me so much about him because Lou Williams is a guy who has carved out an incredible career in the NBA by learning what his role is. And for a certain class of player, modeling yourself after Lou Williams, I mean, I don't know if I want to do it defensively. And the man at one point, you know, had two girlfriends publicly that knew about each other. I'm sure some NBA players model, they like to model themselves after that. Um, 
but uh, it told me a lot about him, uh, the way he sort of views what his career could be. I really liked that about him. But like that draft pick, um, that was a really good move. And by the way, it's another reason why, you know, some people I, you know, I hear during trade season, you know, like right now I was talking to a, somebody about Philly, you know, making a trade the other day. And they're like, well, I said, I talked about their first round draft pick maybe being available. I'm like, yeah, it might be the 27th pick. I'm like, Jimmy Butler was a 29th pick. You know, I mean, um, you know, I, that, that, that's not nothing. And that's an example of even getting a, just sort of a, a second first round pick could mean so much. But um, that's definitely something that they can have traction going forward if they can draft like that. Yeah, I mean, because that's been one of the big failures with the Knicks is that when when they've drafted high in the lottery, which has been often, or when they've just drafted at all, um, they have not really nailed those whatsoever. And, you know, the Knicks have, have not conditioned themselves to be an organically built team, right? Like they're not like a draft and develop organization. They really never have been, at least uh, in, in recent history. What they've tried to do is to use the prestige of their name, the market that they're in, and the aura around the organization, or at least the perceived aura, and use that as a free agent pitch to get rich quick, right? Like that's what they wanted is they wanted to wake up one morning and, and have a million bucks in their bank account because some free agent was intoxicated by the New York Knicks and chose to sign there. And you can roll down the line of how many times they they, they whiffed in those cases and they have been left basically in just uh, a, on a perpetual treadmill going nowhere. So what, they're, what they've done now, and Kirk touched on it perfectly, is the, the Nets are kind of the example, as much as that might be a hard pill to swallow for the Knicks, but the Nets developed some organic young players, um, some of them that they have recycled. You know, D'Angelo Russell, I think, is a really good comparison for what Julius Randle is doing right now. Um, and, you, you know, you, you kind of use a, a kind of a rec- reclamation project to jumpstart your culture again, get you winning games, get, c- get kind of a developmental mindset going. And then you, you start to kind of build from the ground up and the Knicks are going to look like a very compelling free agent destination. The one that they've always fancied themselves to be pretty quickly, because if they just, if they, we keep using the word competent, that's like literally the bar is so low for them to clear. Somebody's going to demand a trade. Somebody's going to demand a trade to New York. And just say, I want to go there because like you go there and, and you know, they're, they're primed to kind of be put over the top. And we're talking about it. Like, I think that Knicks, the Knicks organization, Knicks fans, like define your level of success this year. Kirk said it. It is not necessarily about being a top four seed. I don't even know if it's really about making the playoffs. They just needed to to reorganize themselves and start heading in a, in a positive direction. Now, all that to be said, we, we touched on it. They're overstuffed at point guard. You mentioned quickly, Brian. I love that guy and I, I'm really intrigued about him, but this is where you can kind of fall into that trap of where you, you're, you're straddling the fence. You want to maintain your level of good right now because you're getting kind of intoxicated by it, but also you can't lose sight of the long term. The Knicks are not winning uh, the title this year. They're probably not winning a playoff series. You can look at all that's in front of them in the East. So like, don't lose sight of of the developmental mindset because you want to play Derrick Rose thirty three minutes in a game. You got to get quickly minutes. You got to get top in minutes. You gotta you gotta invest in those guys because that's going to be what pays off in the long run. So here's the thing: they have one of the top former agents in the league running the organization in Leon Rose. They're number two in their team. I'm not sure what 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 Wes Wesley's title is, but his speciality 
is relationship building with players. Even if it's waned a little bit as he's gotten older, his specialty is relationship building. And I don't want to say backroom dealing because that implies that it's sinister, but he's known for working in the shadows. Okay. They play in New York City. They have an abundance of draft picks, young assets, and cap space. Okay. The only sort of flaw in here is I'm not sure that every player wants to play for Tibbs, but there are some who'd like him. I say within the next 12 months, a star slash superstar player demands a trade to New York. And I don't know who it's going to be. I have some guesses I'm not going to say right here. I'll let you guys start thinking about that. Let's just put it this way. League executives certainly have some guesses. And uh, I say by next year's trade deadline, a player, a superstar, you know, all-star player tries to force his way there. And they're going to be in position to do that type of trade. And maybe that's where Julius Randle comes in. He does his greatest service to the Knicks, especially if he continues to play this way, because he could be, you know, part of their of a trade centerpiece. But since they have cap space, cap flex, but they have everything that you need, uh, they just don't have a good reputation. And that's um, that's getting worked on. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is, all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. All right, speaking of uh, teams where guys are forced trades to, um, I want to talk about the LA Clippers. Um they had a disappointing loss on Sunday. Now, by the time this podcast comes out on Tuesday morning, it'll be so much forgotten. But they they blew another game uh, late in um, in Milwaukee, and and I don't want to take anything away from Giannis. Giannis was terrific down the stretch of that game. He took it. Uh, it's the type of performance that you want from your MVP, absolutely. And um, you know, Milwaukee just went out on a road trip where they had some tough losses, and that was just a really good home win for them. Um, but I want to call some attention to some stuff with the Clippers. Now, we've talked about on this podcast, uh, it's been talked about other places. If you follow the Clippers at all, you know that they sometimes struggle in late game offense, that they, you know, they've they've used all of their their trade assets on, you know, on getting uh, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And then um, they used what, what they had left to get Marcus Morris. And then they used their free agency money on Serge Ibaka. So they've they've just sort of let their point guard position go a little bit, but there's some other things beyond point guard that I think I want to point out, and primarily is that they are flat out unacceptably poor in the clutch, and you know the stats that we can measure uh, are 
a game within five points with inside five minutes to go. And I can't believe how bad they are. So overall, they are the number four offensive team in the league. Uh, so so in a year of great offense, by the way, that means that they would be historically great. <laughs> uh, let me see where they're actually at right now. Right now, they're at 116.7 uh, offensive rating. That would be number one of all time <laughs> if they ended the season. Uh, okay. So they're an awesome offensive team. In the clutch, they slide all the way down to 17, number 17. And by the way, that's improved. When I first looked at this stat about 10, 15 days ago, they were 30th. Okay. But it's not as simple as looking just at their offense, which is where we noticed them struggle to get into stuff, which definitely happened in the bubble last year. And Paul George is shooting shots off the backboard. Defensively, okay. Overall, they're okay. They're 15th. Not great. Needs to be better, especially with the talent they have. Guys, defensively, they are 30th in the clutch. They can't stop anybody under the clutch, and they, they and they don't score very well. This is a big-time problem because this is what cost them last year. And this is, you know, some stuff you see in the regular season, and it's easy to say, you know, it's regular season. It's not that big of a deal. This to me is a big red flashing light with this team. And, you know, anybody who's listened to this podcast knows I was so high on them last year. I thought they were going to win even through their struggles. And the honeymoon is over for me. And I'm, Kirk, I'm really worried about what's going to happen with them. And I'm not 100% sure what they can do to fix it. Yeah, it's it's a red flag, and, and for some context, according to the to the NBA website, they played 38 minutes of clutch time so far, and the defense has been atrocious. It's relatively small, but here's the thing: before we go throwing out this thing as a small sample, I think fairly, if you were going to come into this season and say there's one thing I'm really concerned about with the LA Clippers, it's their ability to perform in intense situations, right? Because what we saw last year in the bubble was a collapse and players who just didn't look like they wanted to be there in some cases. Um, and then when they were there, didn't look like they could perform. So to see, especially their defensive collapses in crunch time, uh, the Giannis dunk in that game, by the way, was one of the most ferocious highlight dunks in a highlight I'm not, situation I'm not, I've ever uh, seen. I'm not expecting them to shut that down. Yeah, but it was, just, it was just, as an aside, if you haven't seen it, everybody look it up. I think there was like 10 seconds left. There was a high leverage moment. And Giannis essentially made a dunk contest dunk to help seal the game. Um, but again, that points to the Clippers' lack of defensive execution in a late game possession in a big game against a, a real opponent. Um, and so, yeah, I think in the context of where we came out of the bubble last year, these clutch numbers are particularly troubling because it's humming the same tune, essentially. Can the Clippers get it done in big moments? And the numbers right now say maybe not. Yeah. You know, you talk about 30th. I mean, I, I'm when I looked that up, Brian, because you started talking about it, and I thought, okay, let's see where they're really at. And I, when I pulled those numbers up, and not only you see the thirty next to their name on the the div, the, the clutch time defense, but like when you see the actual points per one hundred possessions that they're giving up, where it's one hundred thirty two point six, like not only are they thirtieth, I mean the Hawks are kind of there with them, which is you know impressive company to be next to in terms of defense, 
they're 127.9, but 28 is 118.2. So like the Clippers aren't just the worst. They're like way the worst, like very much the worst in terms of clutch time defense. And their, their net rating in the clutch is a minus 25.9. That's I, very I, bad. I don't understand. I don't understand it is, you know, I, I don't even really know how to like analyze that and t- to try to diagnose like what the issue might be because the design of that team that we all kind of understood to be was they have maybe maybe the two premier wing defenders in the NBA. So like the way that they were supposed to win games, Brian, is that they stopped you. It wasn't, you know, we all kind of accepted that they may have some offensive issues late in games, uh, you know, isolation and who gets the ball and who's taking turns. And, you know, do you, do you lean on Lou Williams in those moments because he's, he's such a good shot maker and so we all kind of accepted that, but like we we all saw the Clippers to be fine because they're going to stop you. They got Kawhi and PG, and you're going to have a hard time scoring on them, and they're just going to win games because they lock you down. Not only has that not happened, but that's happened. That's not happened to such an insane degree that I I can't comprehend what the issue is at this point. Yeah, I mean, you know, they they have defensive players on their roster. Um, they may not be playing their high. You know, Kirk mentioned earlier that they've only played, you know, they played 38 minutes or whatever of clutch defense. That's because they've won a lot of games where they've handled their business and not had to play in the clutch a lot. But guess but what? Playoff games are close, typically. I seem to remember some close games in Orlando, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, you know, I was on the Lakers last year a lot because I felt that they traded away so much for Anthony Davis, who was who had totally guided himself to uh, LA that they were totally bidding against themselves and they just wildly overpaid. And that I thought it would hurt them going forward, adding to their team and it limited what they could do last year. But guess what? Anthony Davis was so damn good in Orlando that it made it all worth it. And I've retired that, um, that argument and just admitted that it was worth it because when you win, it means never having to say you're sorry. Um, The Clippers have hemmed themselves in where they've given up so many assets they do have a collection of second round picks that they could use, um, you know, in a trade, but they don't have a whole lot to trade. I mean, their tradable pieces are Lou Williams, who's on the last year of his contract. And it would be very difficult, I think, for them to trade Lou for a player that would replace him because he's pretty valuable to them uh, driving their second unit. Um, you know, they, you know, I, you know, you take Zubach and, and, you know, I don't know, some of their other end-of-the-bench guys, I, maybe you could do something there, but it's it's not a lot. And then um, Beverly, with his injuries and his inability to really shoot effectively, and his contract is a little bit outsized, um, you know, unless you're adding a premium to him, I don't think that you're going to be able to trade him for much value. And Luke Kennard is an interesting piece, um, but they, when they traded for him, he had some injury concerns. Those injury concerns in his knee have re-popped up. And then they signed him to a huge extension, which maybe will end up looking okay, but I was stunned when they did it, but it certainly makes them harder to trade. Kirk, I just don't know how they functionally improve unless it's with the buyout market, unless there's a guy in the buyout market who says, I want to be a Clipper. And even then, I think it's a, it's a tight market. It's a tight market. It always is, but th- there's always one or two difference makers in there and maybe they get one of them. I, I haven't studied that yet to see who that could be, but you know, Brian, one of the, one of your strongest points on the Clippers and you didn't get into it this time yet is like, the, this is essentially a team that went all in on a two year window. And we're now update 1.5 years into that two year window. 
they've got a lot riding on this. Um, yeah. This is a big experiment, as you mentioned. They 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 mortgage the future on this. Um, either it's not going to work, and they're going to be left with very little future assets, um, or they're going to have to figure it out uh, in these cl- in these clutch time moments, in these big intense playoff moments. But the the scariest thing about the Denver series last year to me was just like they didn't look like they had the fight of a champion. That's um, true. And for a team with that's Pat why they Bev changed and, the coach at the end of the day. Right. Yeah, they had to. They had to. And they got a championship coach now. And look, Kawhi Leonard, we've seen what he does uh, in playoffs. He can turn and, it on. And Kawhi has been more engaged this year. There's, there's no doubt that they have attempted to keep the gas down from the start. And they've had some really good wins. I mean, they've had a lot going for them. I'm just saying this clutch stuff is... Whew. But what happens if they don't do it this year? I think it's a fair question to ask based on everything they have out there. You know, I, if I'm not mistaken, Kawhi has an option. At the end of this season, you are not mistaken. <laughs> Is there a market for Kawhi Leonard out there? <laughs> there might be. There might be. So um, I'm just saying. I'm not. I'm not player you were referencing. Can we, is that? Is that what? We're no, that was about? not. Oh my God, aggregators! That was not the next player. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. Did I just ruin everything? Oh man. Oh man. Now here's the thing, though. You know, when Kirk mentioned it about the future of the Clippers and and what is riding on their current situation. You know, when when you look at at and look, I, I completely I think we all completely understand and respect the decisions the Clippers made in that summer. And I think that they if they could reverse back, they would do it all over again. A hundred percent. The Clippers organization should do that uh, 10 out of 10 times in my mind. Now, I, I think that we can reflect on that trade and especially you see how good Shea Gildas Alexander is and to add in five first round picks. On I, top I of don't that. think there's any regrets on that, uh, but I mean, he's, he's extremely good. And you know, with, with the picks attached to it, that was, that was a whole lot to give up now. And, and sometimes in, in, we can sound silly when we talk about these intangible elements of a team, because we look at the statistics and the analytics and the data and all those things available to us. But, you know, when you talk about not having the fight, that's what I think concerns so many people is that, it, it it's this kind of like you know tough guy thing to to think about with the team but like where is the backbone of the clippers and and if and if they're in another playoff series and they're down 3-2 in a series and they have to win game 6 like do you believe in the clippers and i think i believe in the roster itself and the and the names on the roster i would say those those players can do that i believe in Kawhi Leonard but do you believe in the clippers and that team to function and and to rise up and the thing is, is that until you do it, especially when you have a recent failure on your resume, I, I just, I, I personally don't, I don't, I don't, I would not picture them winning an intense must win game six uh, when they had to do it just because they don't have the equity in my mind to, to pull it off. Let me split the hairs there. Do I think at tip off with Kawhi and Paul George and Serge Ibaka and Ty Lu, do I think at tip off that they can win? Um a series that's two, two, you know, game five that they can win that game or three, two that they're down trying to force game seven. Yes. I do believe that they can. How do I feel though? If it's a four point game with two minutes, to play? <laughs> the numbers say you should feel pretty that's bad. That's a different, that's a different, you know, it's a different discussion and you, you know, to, to be a championship team, you got to be able to do both and nobody's going to win all of those situations, but, but they're, but their situation is, is problematic to, to say the least. And I think it's, to be honest with you, I think it's really on Ty Lue. Uh Certainly their front office has got to 
scour the market and scratch every surface and, and try to figure something out. And, and I'm sure they are because they have a great front office. But it's also on Ty Lu to tighten those bolts. That's why he's there. He got that job to be able to do that. And he, by the way, he has done it. Um, but I think some of that is is on him to be able to figure out the lineups and the attacks and the defenses to do it. And um, and to me, I think that's almost what the whole second half of the season is about is, is about for them, regardless of what their seed is, regardless about what their record is. They've got to get to a place in their in their mind and spirit that when they get into a late game situation, that they feel confident because they are a different team under those circumstances. And that is not changing. I've you definitely have seen a change in Kawhi's attitude. He's playing in back to backs. He's showing more um, uh, leadership based on, you know, everything you hear. I mean, I'm not there. I haven't been in Los Angeles, sadly for uh, 51 weeks. <laughs> I think I was in LA a year ago next week, maybe a year ago this week. Um, I haven't been inside and around their team and talked to their guys enough, but from what I can tell and what I've been told, he's, you know, there's efforts being made on that end. Paul George has, having a great season um, has, you know, said things and, and is trying to back them up. I mean, all of that is true, but guys, it's got to show under the heat and uh, I'm not judging them by one Sunday afternoon in Milwaukee, but that was a, an example of what's, what's what might be holding them back. For the ones who get it done, Ranger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists, who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Stephen A's World streams weekdays on ESPN+, bringing fans Stephen A. Smith's entertaining perspective and deep expertise with some signature guests. The best interviews from Stephen A's World are now available as a podcast every Wednesday. Listen wherever you get your podcast and watch Stephen A's World on ESPN+. All right, before we go, I wanted to touch on one more thing. Um, Woj had a report Sunday about Victor Oladipo turning down a contract extension with the Rockets. Um, to me, guys, this is really just sort of a pro forma cap tip to just let everybody know he's going to be traded or they're going to try like hell to trade him. Um, uh, it's not so much that he, I think it was two years, 45 million or whatever. They offered it to him because I think you have to do that they didn't expect him to take that and he wouldn't have been expected to sign. It's not, he's not having a, a great year. He hasn't been great since he came back from his, uh, from his terrible knee surgery. But the reason that, that they offer that and that he turns it down is to sort of, you know, a little palate cleanser before, um, before trading him because they don't want to make it seem like they weren't interested in him or there's something wrong with him. I mean, um, 
guys, he's only shooting 38 or 39 percent overall since he since the trade, shooting 29 percent um, from three. Uh, he's had some moments, and he's you know he's been banged up again. Um, so let me ask you this, um, Royce, what do you think happens with? I, I mean, I think it's almost a certainty he's going to get traded, or mm-hmm. very hardly traded. What do you think happens with Oladipo at this point? Well, let, let me ask this first, though, Brian. Like, because I saw the consensus was of like, yeah, yeah, he wasn't going to take that. Like, he, why wouldn't he at least consider that? I I, I know that it's two years is is a short term deal in the NBA, but where? Where's Victor Oladipo's market going to make more than $22.5 million a year? I, am, I, am I missing something? I mean, we're talking about a player that came back from a severe injury. When he came back last year, did not play well, looked extremely rusty, um, struggled finishing at the rim, struggled getting his shot off. Then he had the bubble saga of whether he was going to play or not, did not play well in the bubble. He, he had some decent moments, I think, to start the year in Indiana this year. Kind of seemed to maybe be regaining some of his form. But then you just laid it out. He has, for the last, for basically a month straight, did not play well at all. I don't know. I mean, if I'm Victor Oladipo, I'm sitting there going, is my market going to be better than that? I, I don't, I, I understand the um, the logic of, you know, the Rockets making the offer for optics. But I, I don't know. that that To me, that wouldn't have been such a, just a straightforward turndown by Oladipo. I, I don't know what his trade market would be, be for the same exact reason. I, what, what kind of asset would you give up to get Victor Oladipo is, is um, I assume that most people would believe he's worth a first round pick. Well, I think Victor Oladipo is, is a good enough player that, that one of the 30 teams will talk themselves into giving him some money. Yeah, there, some there's going to be right now. Let's see how things go. There's going to be 10 teams with 20 plus million in space. There's not going to be 10 players worth getting that. So I think it's a reasonable gamble for Victor that he can find a contract that's at least equal to that. And let me just say that even if he, for some reason, doesn't and gets a little bit less, it's worth the gamble uh, for him, I think, to go into free agency. And there's the other thing that I wanted to bring up, and Royce did a really good job of, of highlighting it, uh, but maybe he just doesn't want to play in Houston. You know, that's that's a situation that, that, that rubs a lot of players the wrong way, right or wrong. But, you know, he doesn't want to be there. They've lost 10 in a row. Why would I want to just sign up for two more years? There's going to be some market for me. Why do I have to commit to the Houston Rockets mm-hmm. right now in the middle of this terrible stretch of basketball? Um, somebody out there is going to look at his numbers those first two years in Indiana when he's an all-star, scoring 20-plus at an efficient rate, a really athletic player, and say, yeah, he's still only 28, 29 years old. I think there's more uh, tread left on the tires here. This guy can be a really good player again. Uh, so I think it's a fair gamble. It's a gamble, but it's a fair gamble, Royce, to your point. Um, and I, I expect to see him starting for a different team somewhere maybe next year. So I think at this point, to be honest with you, I think there's kind of two different scenarios. There's teams who may not be able to sign Oladipo next summer, and so maybe they try to get him now. But then there's also just the straight rental market. Is there a team out there who's like, all right, Victor Oladipo is highly incentivized to play well. Um, we really could use a player to boost us in the second half. Um, this is a this is a high level rental. So, what are the teams that would really make sense for a rental? And I have I have sort of two and a half that come to mind. I have Miami at the top yeah, of my Miami list. was the very first team I thought of for sure. Okay. So they're kind of 
you know, for sure. Um, they, That's you know, awesome. Victor, Victor wants to play there. Um, the Boston needs more of a, uh, a, 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 a forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, I mean, look, Boston needs firepower, so I'm not saying no, but, um, I, you know, I, I think, you know, in Miami has some, you know, they have some contract ballast, you know, they, uh, they gave Myers Leonard a, a $9 million contract essentially to use him in a trade. So I don't know what the price of, of Miami would be. And the other thing is Miami, you know, Victor, I don't think it's any secret in the league. Victor has, uh, he has a desire to play in Miami. He'd like to go there in free agency. They're going to have cap space. So that may happen. And, you know, Miami may say, well, why would we trade a good piece for Michael? You know, let's just say hypothetically, everybody <laughs> hear that? Hypothetically, let's say like um, Houston said, well, you know, we'll trade you, but you got to include Kendrick Nunn in the package or something like that. And, um, you know, they may say, well, listen, we can just sign all the depot next summer and keep Kendrick Nunn too. Why would we do both? You know, um, but Miami for sure. Um, another team is the Knicks, mm-hmm. you know, um, the Knicks are a team that, uh, you know, they have all that open cap space. It's an easy trade for them to make. They have, um, extra, extra picks. You know, the Knicks have two first round picks, uh, theirs and Dallas's and they have, um, I think they have Detroit's second round pick, which, um, right now would be in the low thirties. So, they have some attractive pieces and that cap space. You know, they have some attractive pieces to go hunting if they want. Um, and then sort of the more interesting team potentially, you know, I don't know if how interesting, I don't know how much it helps them, but would maybe be Dallas. Um, maybe be just, you know, Dallas needs something to, to, uh, to spice them up. I'm not sure what Victor, you know, he, the Dallas needs defense and I'm not sure that, I'm not sure where Victor is defensively right now, but I mean that's a those are three teams that come to the front of my head. I sort of count Miami as the half team because I'm not sure they trade for him when they could sign him. But one, one that jumps off the page to me, Brian, is Denver. I, I feel like Denver is in need of a trade. I think that they're in need of firepower. They've desperately needed wing help for two years now. Um I you know I know that they all like uh, Facundo Campazzo and he's fun to watch, but like I don't know how much Mike Malone wants to play him like extended minutes in a playoff series, uh, especially you know I I just think that that's a team and they've got young guys that I you know that they they probably would be somewhat willing to yeah, part with to make it uh, make a deal happen. Gary Harris has been involved in trade talks to a handful of teams in the last six eight months. He's just really struggled for the last year and a half, and I just don't think his value is that high. And he's got a, he's got money left on the deal. Would um, you give up R.J. Hampton though to to take your shot with Oladipo? You know, I I mean, I if that's maybe Houston thinks about that, yeah, maybe, maybe Bull Bull, maybe Hampton and Bull Bull. I don't I don't know. They've got young players that I think could at least compel like the Rockets to like take their their offer. Now the Nuggets might very clearly be looking at it as a pure rental. Like that might, but, but they, they're in that, they're in that window phase, right? Like they, they went to the Western conference finals. They've been disappointing to start this year. There's a little bit of pressure building on them. And like you're, they're, they're reaching that point where, okay, you're in the window. So like take your steps forward. I could, I could just see them being a, a player at the trade deadline, maybe not for Oladipo, but for somebody. Yeah. uh, It's not a bad, uh, it's not a bad call. Um, uh, You know, I don't know how, how active this trade deadline is going to be Kirk, because We've got a whole bunch of teams in the mix. Um, you know, a player like Old Depot could end up being one of the top. I mean, heck, depending on what happens with Kyle Lowry in Toronto, I still don't know what's going to happen in Toronto. 
Um, I don't have any sense that they're going to trade him, but but if if Kyle Lowry is not available in Toronto, um, Oladipo might be the number one name on the market. Um, yeah, I could see that for sure. Um, he's he's a heck of a player, and you can see him in, in making big plays in, in in playoff games, and anybody wants that. And the other thing is, we talked about how bunched up the East is. The West is kind of bunched up in its own way too. Like a player like Oladipo could could get you over the hump in some cases, get you to a round that you might not have gotten to otherwise mm-hmm. in the playoffs this year. Um, I'm not mad at the idea that he's the best guy on the play uh, the trade market. Kyle Lowry, uh, I just can't imagine them doing that. But yeah, I, people are talking about it. But both Victor Oladipo, you know, to a team like Miami or a team like Denver, as Roy suggests, that's a game changer for one of these teams. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on it for sure. Um, all right, thank you, Royce. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you to Dan spending the controls back in Connecticut. And I just want to, before we go, give a shout out to Troy Farkas, who's been our producer for the last couple of years. Troy uh, left us to go to Greener Pastures. I want to thank Troy for everything that he did. Recording in the middle of the night at some times, all kinds of things during the pandemic, late after the bubble games. So thank you and good luck to Troy. Thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective. Have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you later. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.